You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. All right, so we are in a new series called And There Was Great Joy in the City. And this is our assignment, this is our mandate to carry the good news of the gospel to the cities where God has placed us. Now, my job as the, the mother of Awakened Church is to be able to, to see things in our environment or our atmosphere that need to, that need to, to be addressed and you know, not in a corrective way, but in a reminding way. A good, a good mother reminds people of who we are. And during this season, it's, it's been probably as close to a, a season of, of war that our generation has, has ever experienced. Not to try to compare ourselves to the atrocities of the First and Second World Wars or the Vietnam War. However, there has been a warfare unleashed on the entire earth uh, from literally from the bowels of hell. And if, it, if it's not actual hand-to-hand combat like they're having in Russia and Ukraine right now, absolutely biological warfare. And so you'll find during times of warfare that people get very oppressed, that sadness and and grief and hopelessness become commonplace. I was reading some statistics recently that said that um, in previous years, depression levels were around 40% of the population would be suffering with some type of depression or anxiety. That has now been upgraded or downgraded to 80%. Just really think about that for a second. That means eight out of every 10 people you meet are struggling with some level of soul heaviness. This is a problem, but it's not a problem without a solution because that's where God has empowered you and I as his saints, his ambassadors on the earth to fix what ails the world. And so I wanted to speak into into that during this time of warfare. And we've come out of a season. I was talking with Pastor Michael in between the services where people are masked up. You can't see people's faces. You can't see whether they're happy or sad, glad or mad. We're, we're distancing. So physical touch is, has kind of like been replaced. Nobody's shaking hands. And, you know, we've come out of this season of social estrangement and we're seeing it. We're seeing the collateral damage of that season of warfare in humankind today. And I was thinking about during times of warfare, some of the most significant and memorable moments were acts of kindness. Acts of kindness during the darkest, most depraved, most distressing moments in society. An act of kindness has a way of reminding people of the God's signature. And as God's kids, as his saints, we are called to carry the God's signature. So in the midst of our warfaring, in the midst of our freedom fighting, let us never forget what spirit we are of. We don't fight like the enemy. We don't go through hard times and become hard. And it's a great battle to do that. It is absolutely a temptation to walk through a hard time like we've walked through and become numb and hard. That's when we need to be reminded of what spirit we are of. What spirit we are of. 
So I, I, come with a, I come with a reminder today. So for all of you who are a Christian in the room today, when you receive Christ, the Bible says that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he never comes in empty handed. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, chapter number five, verse 22, now the fruit of the Spirit. So the evidence that you're a believer there should be some fruit that's visible in your life. Some of it still may be in kind of like baby little seedling form. Some of it may be just a seed that hasn't even been germinated yet because you haven't accessed it because it's under some rubble. But the seeds of the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, are inside you today. What, What are those seeds? Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, what did I miss? Goodness and self-control. Yep. Patience, long-suffering. So all those things should be evident in the, in the lives of every believer. And if I can think of anything that our cities and the people of this world need right now, it's a kindness revolution. Now, it's not the kind of kindness revolution that the virtue signalers are telling you you need to have, which is basically just an Instagram post. Their version of kindness is basically, I'm going to project to the world that I'm being kind. I'm going to judge other people who aren't being kind like I think they should be kind. But my actions are not going to necessarily match up with my words. And I'm also going to use that kindness as an escape hatch to not confronting things that need to be confronted. I I love our church. I'm so proud of our church. I'm really proud of my husband because not only is he wonderfully kind, he's a freedom fighter. He fights for freedom. He pushes back against oppression. He pushes back against control and tyranny. And and evil works where he sees them. The the works of evil that, that seek to dominate and enslave mankind. That that spirit is not where we show our kindness. That's where we stand in righteous anger and we confront it. But we must remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are always the innocent collateral damage during a time of war. I want to share with you a story that really did my heart good to read it. It's about an American soldier, uh, excuse me, an American uh, fighter pilot by the name of Gal Halverson. In 1948, when he was a young U.S. Air Force pilot, Gal Halverson encountered a group of German children standing by the runway at Tempelhof Airport. Now, remember, Germany was the enemy. They were the enemy, and America was part of the Allied forces coming in to take care of Mr. Hitler. As these German children peppered him with questions, he reached into his pocket and found two sticks of gum which he broke into pieces and passed around the crowd. But it wasn't nearly enough. Looking at the faces of the impoverished and devastated children and the kids who had been left out, he had a brainstorm. Tomorrow, when he flew in his load of cargo, he promised the children, these German children who had known nothing but warfare for years and years and years, he would drop small handkerchief parachutes filled with candy and gum on his approach. Even talking to Pastor Michael during the break just about this story, remember these little German children would only be used to seeing these kinds of planes dropping bombs, not candy. 
So this was a complete, like in the midst of warfare, this great act of kindness. They said to him, how will we know it's you? He said, I'm going to wiggle my wings. He quickly uh, earned the nickname Uncle Wiggly Wings and the legend of the Berlin candy bomber was born. At first, Halverson made his candy drops discreetly, not sure if his extracurricular missions of mercy would be officially allowed. But when his commanders learned of what he was doing, he was not only encouraged but given official approval. This is America. And I don't care what they're teaching in the colleges, how they're trying to rewrite our history. America is kind. When, America, when people see the American flag, there are certain feelings that are conjured up, feelings of protection, provision, justice, honour, integrity. It's the place where people run. You can tell in how awesome a nation is by the amount of people that are trying to get into it. So his commanders learned of what he was doing and he was given official approval. When news of the Berlin candy bomber, Uncle Wiggly Wings, filtered back to America, the story was met with considerable interest and attention. Halverson and his squad mates were flooded with cards and letters of support. National candy companies contributed candy and other confections that were collected and sent to Germany. Halverson leaves behind a legacy of giving and generosity that goes far beyond the 21 tons of candy he and his fellow pilots collectively dropped to the children of Berlin in 1948 and 49. Spurred by that event, he continued to participate in humanitarian causes throughout his life. He steadfastly attributed his lifetime of service to an urge to show kindness in the midst of great devastation. Halverson died in Provo, Salt Lake City at the age of 101. In a time of war, Halverson made an undeniable impact on the lives of the war-torn children of Germany with his acts of kindness. Halverson was not just a freedom warrior, he was a kindness warrior, and the two go hand in hand. And I wrote that last part. (laughs) So right now we are in broiled in a freedom battle and it's right and it's virtuous and it's good and we need to be engaged. But we can never forget what spirit we are of. We do not warfare like the enemy warfares. We all warfare with a different spirit. Today I want to speak a message to you called, How Do You Spell Kindness? And we're not going to spell it how the virtue signalers spell it. Kindness is not weak, lily-livered, passive, non-confrontational. Kindness is one of the strongest strengths that any believer can possess. In fact, the Bible says of God, rich in mercy and loving kindness. One of the greatest signatures of God is not that he is not a confrontationalist. God will confront evil. But in one hand, there is the, the, the hand of confrontation that comes against everything that seeks to oppress men. And the other is his great mercy and his kindness. And I would say our city right now, El Cajon, San Diego, needs not just freedom fighters, but freedom fi- fighters who know how to also be kindness fighters, to, to warfare with that great gift that God has given us, that seed on the inside of us. So I'm going to give you three ways that we need to spell kindness, and they may not be virtue signal or approved. 
but I reckon you can hang in there. The first one is this. Kindness is spelled noticing. It's real easy to jump on the bandwagon of what everybody else is jumping on. Hashtag, I stand with Ukraine. I'm good. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But are you doing it because everybody else is doing it? Or are you actually noticing? Are you noticing what nobody else notices? I love the story in Luke chapter number 19. And for time's sake, I I won't read the scripture, but it's the story of Jesus noticing Zacchaeus up a tree. Now, Zacchaeus, he he was a tax collector. He was wealthy. On the outside, he did not look like he needed a thing. You got it all, Zacchaeus. You're wealthy. You're rich. You may be lacking in the height department, but we'll overlook that. But the Bible says that Jesus was coming into town. He was passing by. And as he was walking through the, through the crowds and there were crowds pressing on every side with people with a whole bunch of needs. The Bible doesn't actually say here that Jesus ministered necessarily to any of the crowd that was around him, but he stopped and he noticed a wealthy man up a tree. And when he stopped and looked at Zacchaeus up a tree, he said, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm coming to your house for lunch today. And immediately the crowd around him were like, no, Jesus, you don't get to be kind to that man. We decide who you get to be kind to. And he doesn't fit the status. I don't see him on the Instagram grid. I don't see him trending on Twitter. Look at him. He's got it all together. But Jesus saw and noticed what everybody else didn't. Here was a man who needed an interaction with the kindness of God. Kindness notices what other people overlook. Let me tell you a story. Pastor Jürgen and I, as many of you know, took six weeks off uh, at the end of last year just to recover from a pretty intense season. We needed some time to uh, refresh, get refreshed ourselves in our marriage and to be able to sit in church and not necessarily preach, but allow ourselves to be preached through. And it was a really beautiful season. And there was one particular day we went up to Temecula. We love visiting wineries. Not because, not you know, listen, if I've ruffled your religious feathers, I, it's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> I, I'd like to say we're not offensive, but we probably are a bit. But I, I have no shame in saying it because I'm completely in control. I'm not an alcoholic. I enjoy to have a glass of wine, a glass of wine. So we went to Temecula and we just love the vibe of the wineries. It's peaceful. There are so many lessons in it. Jesus often spoke about the vine. It was just beautiful. And we were there together. But as we're walking into the tasting room and about to sit at the bar there, I was giving my husband some direction as we're walking through the door. Because for those of you that know Pastor Jürgen, you would know, you would know that a room full of strangers is like his best day ever. <laughs> like if he, so when he hangs around after service for an hour and talks to everybody and tells a million stories, he's living his best life. <laughs> so I am used to going out for dinner with him and him having a conversation with everyone but me. The waiter, the waitress. No, don't feel sorry for me. It's fine. He, it's, I, I heard that groan. I am very well looked after. Don't worry. I just like to complain a little bit every now and then. And, and so, right, thank you, Stan. I can do it. And anyway, on the way in to sit at the bar to have our little tasting and relax and unwind and spend time together, I was reading him the riot act. 
I was like, now when we go in here again, you are not to talk to everybody except me. Eyes on me. In fact, I said to him, you're going to sit at the end of the bar so there is no chance a stranger can sit next to you and you can carry on and have a conversation. Because I just, I've, I've seen this little scenario before and I wanted to preemptively warn him that he needed to focus on me. And so we walk in, we do exactly, I place him at the end of the bar with, and then I sit next to him. And then the bartender lady comes up and she's as sweet as pie. And of course, Jürgen's looking down because as soon as he makes eye contact, he knows it's game over. <laughs> he's in, he's in. And so I'm, I'm interacting with her because he cannot be trusted. <laughs> and the minute I start to speak, immediately... I, I sense a heaviness on this woman's spirit. And that's not to say that everywhere you go and every heaviness you, send, you sense that it, it's your job, you're the superhero of San Diego. But when God is speaking, I felt a compulsion. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm going to be breaking my own rules. And I just sensed this heaviness. And so I, I took it a bit further than, yes, I'd like to try the, uh, you know, the Pinot Noir. And I said, hi hi, what's, what's your name? And she told me her name and we just got to chatting and, and I just noticed this heaviness. And by the time I started chatting, Jürgen was like, ooh, come on, game on. And he's like, <laughs> he's in. And she was just asking us questions about who we were and where we'd come from. Obviously, the Australian accent gave her reason to, you know, ask some questions like, how did you come here? Why are you here? And so I really felt in God as I noticed the heaviness on this woman to engage in conversation with her. And as we started chatting, and by this time I'm telling the story of us arriving in America, and then of course Jürgen chimes in and pipes off because he realises when my wife is telling a story, no one can ever tell it as good as I am, so I'm going to take it from here. So he jumps in and goes, oh, and babe, you forgot the best part, and takes over. And she said... She said, oh, so you're pastors? We said, yeah. And I just noticed like a bit of a shadow come across her eyes again. And she said, oh, my, my brother's a pastor. We said, oh, is that right? Is that right? She goes, yeah, but we're not speaking to each other. And so this was my cue to lean in a bit more. I said, oh, why is that? That's really sad. I'm so sorry. Why? What happened? And she said, well, my son died a couple of months back. He, he overdosed and I went into his bedroom one morning, 23 years of age, and I found him dead in his bed. And obviously it was, you know, I'm, I'm still so heartbroken. My, my brother, who's a pastor, I went to him for, for comfort and he said to me that my son was in hell because he was homosexual. And in that moment, I, I'm feeling to myself the weight of why God tells us to notice those who maybe on the outward look like they don't need a thing. And I'm telling you, this woman was well put together. She had a smile on her face, but I could not deny the sense and the compulsion I had that there was something that I was called to notice. So it was so beautiful. By this point, Jürgen is full steam ahead. And he just says, tell me a little bit about your son. And she said, well, when I was, when my son was young, my husband and I divorced and my husband left and it was a great betrayal and he hasn't been in our life since. 
And my son was always so sweet. I would take him to Sunday school every week. And when he was a little boy, he, he gave his heart to the Lord. And she had a Christian background. And, but then as he grew into a teenager, he be, his heart became so hard. He became so, so angry with God and angry with my husband and angry with life and, you know, got involved in drugs and relationships that were just not going to lead anywhere. And that's how his life ended. And Jürgen just looked at her and he said, do you know what John 3.16 says? And she said, yes. And he said, will you quote it for me? And he said, yes. And she said, yes. She said, it says, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him. And then Jürgen said, stop right there. Does it say whosoever should believe in him or behave in him? And she said, believe. He said, that's exactly right. God didn't send Jesus to die for your son because he behaved right, but because he believed. He's not in heaven today, not hell. He's in heaven today, not because of his behaviour, but because of his believing. Because of his believing. And I was able to say to her, I was able to say to her, God sent us here today to let you know that your son is not in hell like your brother said. Your son is in heaven because it's not about his behaviour, it's about his believing. And it was like, honestly, you know, there was hugs, there was tears, all the other waiters and waitresses are looking around at what's happening. She came to Twisted, she's coming to Hero. Like, hope is back in her heart today. Because we took the time to notice a woman who on the outside likes Zacchaeus, look, she doesn't look like she needs anything, but God sees and God knows. And in a time of great warfare, and you think that story has got to be magnified millions of times throughout our counties, where people are in desperate need of a word from God to bring hope into their hopelessness. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, anxiety or trauma in the heart of a person causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. You know what you and I have? We have some good words that we can share with people who desperately need to hear them. Kindness is noticing what others fail to see. I remember another time, and I could go on forever with with stories, um, but There was another time my husband and I would always go to the same Starbucks. I love going to the same places. I I like uh, routine, but I think there's something powerful about making a place yours and making a difference in the places that God has given you. So so I don't don't want to go to different places all the time. I want to go and I want to make friends with the people that work there and I want to be a light in the darkness. So before Shepherd's Coffee was born, Jürgen and I would always go to Starbucks. We, we had our local Starbucks and we got to know the baristas. And one particular day we walked in and there was one barista there and she, was, or she had like a megawatt smile. She could have sold Colgate toothpaste. She had the best <laughs> smile in the world. We always saw her smiling. We always saw her upbeat and happy. She was just one of those people. And so we walk in this particular day and like immediately we notice this girl ain't smiling. She's the smiliest girl we know and she ain't smiling. And it was in those times that you actually have to notice 
something isn't right here, something's changed here. And when the Spirit of the Lord leads you, your compulsion is to minister into that place, just like Jesus did with Zacchaeus. And so again, Jürgen, I mean, Jürgen is the boldest man in the world. I may be a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more, you know, uh, standoffish compared to him, but immediately he grabs her hand. I mean, you shouldn't be grabbing women's hand in the age of hashtag me too, just saying. But he, he doesn't care. He's never been politically correct. He's not going to start, okay? So he grabs her hand and he, look, he says, look in my eyes. Because she had explained to us, well, you know, I had a really negative altercation with a, a customer that came in just a little bit before you and I, I, I feel slimed. I feel grieved, like, I, like something is on me. So he grabs her hand and he says, look in my eyes. You are a beautiful, wonderful person with the greatest smile that I've ever seen, with a spirit of joy, and I declare that you are set free right now. I don't even know if she was a Christian, but he was doing deliverance on her <laughs> at Starbucks. You are set free right now. I'm sorry, sweetheart, that hurting people hurt people, but the rest of your day is going to be so much better than how it started. Completely changed the atmosphere. Why? Because he noticed. He noticed. I wonder how many people we walk past every day and we kind of notice something's different, but then we keep going on. Can we pray at the beginning of every day, God, give me eyes to see what other people overlook? We might attract people through our freedom stance, but we will keep them through our kindness. We will keep them through our kindness. In the midst of warfare, great oppression, we cannot forget what spirit we are of. We are kind people and kindness is spelt noticing. I had coffee with Quatcha Davis, Pastor Quatcha Davis. Have, many of you know her. She is a firecracker, goes to our Balboa campus, but has preached here before. Now she works as kind of like a, like a, a mother figure. Her and her husband, Ron, work as like parental figures in the public school system. And there is a, a pretty huge limitation to what they're able to do. And there was this one little boy who was... Uh, part of a group and and she just noticed like he would just have these waves where he, all of a sudden he just looked really depressed and really down and so she brought it to the to the teacher and she's like oh yeah no it's fine he, he's fine he's fine so then she took it a little bit further and brought it to the principal have you noticed this this little kid I just see these these waves come over him like depression and he'll start to cry oh no no he's fine it's just kids kids are just emotional you know, just leave it alone, leave it alone. But if you know Quatcha Davis, she ain't going to leave nothing alone. Her, her ministry was forged in the back blots of Africa. If she sees oppression and she notices that she's going to take care of some business. So she walked over to the little boy. She said he was a little Muslim boy. His name was, um, I believe, Muhammad. And, and she said to him, Muhammad, What's wrong? I'm noticing something's wrong. Oh, it's okay, Miss Quatcha. It's okay, Miss Quatcha. And she goes, no, it's not okay. I, you can tell me what's wrong. And he said, oh, I just don't know. There are sometimes I just feel like waves, like waves of sadness. And I just want to cry. I feel so sad and depressed on the inside. And I don't know what to do, Miss Quatcha. And she said, I know what to do. And she said, will you let me pray for you? Illegal, but she still did it. And Quacha put her hand on this little boy and she rebuked that tormenting spirit off his life, hopefully in a very child-friendly way. 
<laughs> but I'll have to let her tell you the story to, to fill in the blanks. But she said that little boy from that time since has been completely delivered of these waves of depression, all because a woman noticed when everybody else wanted to just go about their day. Kindness is spelt noticing, noticing. Amen, Leanne. Amen, amen. And God's going to give you opportunities every single day. Some of them may be big, some of them may be small. I remember in... uh, Auckland many, many years ago, gosh, coming up to 25 years ago when Pastor Jürgen and I were, were pastors there, uh, in, a, in a very low socioeconomic area, a lot of poverty, a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, a lot of single mothers whose partners had had children with them and then left them to fend for themselves, so much poverty. I remember encountering a woman at church who had come for a while. She had these little daughters and every time I saw her daughters, they'd kind of be slumped over and have their hands over their chest. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help but notice because kindness notices. And so I spoke to the mother and I said, I, I just got to say, I just notice your girls. They're, they're beautiful girls, but their heads are always down and they're always, they always have their hands over their chest. And she said, quite honestly, and I, I'm not trying to in any way be crass today, but I want to I profile this point to you. She said, I can't afford to buy them bras. I cannot afford to get them new underwear. So they live every day of their life a little bit humiliated and intimidated and embarrassed because of our poor situation and what it's done to them. Such an easy fix. I said, I would love to get your daughter's bras. It would be my honour and privilege. I'll never forget it. Like a woman breaking down. This was back, back in 1994 when... You know, a bra was only $20. Now it's like a year's wages to get one of those things. I don't know what they're putting in them. Solid gold bras. But it was an, it was an easy fix. But in order to fix an easy problem, we've got to notice. And in order to notice, we have to be led by the Spirit of God in whom dwells an unending supply of kindness. Our city needs freedom and our city needs acts of kindness from God's kindest people, from his kindness warriors. Kindness is spelled noticing. And maybe if we could pray every day, God, just give me one encounter. Let me see today. And I believe in every day. Many of us come to church looking for acts of kindness to be done for us. Imagine if you turned it around. Because the Bible says you're always going to reap what you sow. Imagine if instead of looking for what people can do for you, you could look out and notice the need, the gap in somebody else's life that can be filled with kindness. This is a simple message, I know, but it will change your life and it will change the city if you apply it. Amen. Kindness is spelled inconvenience. Being kind is not always going to be convenient. And Luke chapter number eight, one of my favourite stories in the Bible, we see God or Jesus powerfully go into a place called Gadarenes and deliver a man who was so tormented with devils, he would run around graveyards naked, cutting himself with stones. That's wild, you guys. Very, very wild. Sometimes we can read the Bible and go, oh, that's nice, Jesus. That's crazy. That's an absolute freak show. And I'm sure there were so many other people that looked at that and went, oh, there's crazy Gadarene graveyard guy. 
naked again. Crazy naked guy. Like a Friends episode. But Jesus, on the other hand, allowed himself to be inconvenienced to show a man great kindness that changed not just his life, but his family's life forever. Let me tell you why it was an inconvenience. In the scriptures preceding that story, we see that Jesus had just come off a marathon preaching conference. He'd just done back-to-back emerge conferences in the rain, in the mud, in the snow, feeding a whole bunch of people, others piping off, and then all of a sudden he feels the compulsion to go to a man in Gadarenes to be inconvenienced to show a great act of kindness that would change a man's life forever. Sometimes acts of kindness are not going to, and they're not going to feel good in the current season you're in. Oh, that's a complete inconvenience. I remember a story again in in South Auckland when Jürgen and I were youth pastors. And my husband had, he had a mantra that if you're a youth leader, you never turn up to youth group on Friday night with an empty car. If you got a car with seats and needs to be filled with people that need to hear about God's love and his plans and purposes for their life. And again, we lived in a very, very impoverished part of New Zealand. There was not a single child I knew that had not been touched with abuse, whether it be verbal, physical or sexual. Very, very broken people in need of the gospel. So Jürgen would say, if you're a youth leader, then you're not turning up with an empty car. If I see you with an empty car, you're telling me you're not a leader. So there was one particular day, one of our youth leaders, Brett Marsden, called up Jürgen and said, hey, there's this guy calling me, but he lives 45 minutes away. You know, I don't have a ton of money. Like gas prices were kind of like not quite Biden level, but quite up there. (laughs) He's like 45 minutes there to pick him up, 45 minutes back to youth, 45 minutes to take him home, and then 45 minutes for me to get home. Pastor Jürgen, what do I do? And I love Jürgen because he didn't say, well, you need to just do it, Brett, because that's the call. He said, well, I want you to, I want you to pray. I want you to ask God, what will God tell you? And that's a really good rule of thumb. You cannot give yourself to everything and everyone. Okay, you were not born with a cape and an S on your chest for a reason. But there will be occasions where God asks you to inconvenience yourself for the salvation of another person. So, of course, Brett goes away and prays. And sure enough, God says, yeah, you got to go pick this kid up. So he brings this boy from this pretty broken background to youth ministry. And the kid the whole time is up the front, leaning in, listening. And at the end of the message, after Pastor Jürgen had preached and he did the salvation appeal, this kid's hand was the first one to go up. He received Christ. We led him to the Lord. It was powerful. Brett then puts him back in the car at the end of the night, drives him home, comes back again back again. The very next day, we get word that that same young man on his way to a football match in his town was struck by a car by a drunk driver and killed and lost his life. We never know where our decision to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced will lead us and what harvest will happen as a result. I thank God, I thank God that day that Brett Marsden listened to the Lord and understood that this was more than just an inconvenience. This was a divine appointment that this man had with God and that Brett was a huge part of it. Kindness is spelt inconvenience. 
The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, and let us not grow weary of doing good. And sometimes doing good can be wearying. There is a cost attached. And there are a lot of people out there that, you know, think being good is just maybe saying a good thing or posting a good thing or having a good thought. But it's so much more than that, especially in a season like we are in today. People in desperate need of a true representation of God. Yes, God is a God of freedom and justice and the confrontation of evil, but, on, uh, but He is so multifaceted. He is kind. He is generous. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is good. And we need to make sure that we are not a, a, a kind of like if and or even, you know, like one or the other church. We've got to be both. We have to be both. Freedom fighters and kindness fighters in Jesus' name. Amen. And because Jesus was obedient to God's leading, he had authority to have literally the the principalities and the powers and even the weather obey him. You'll be surprised at what will happen in your life when you surrender to God's obedience and allow yourself to be inconvenienced, especially in the area of being kind to people that God desperately wants to manifest His kindness to. It gives an authority in your own life. Amen. i got to tell you another story about Pastor Jürgen, one more about being inconvenienced, and we're almost done. So most of us, when we call 411 operator to get information, we'll ask for the number and we'll get it and we'll say thank you and then we'll go on with our day. Not Pastor Jürgen. He calls our equivalent in Australia of 411 called Telstra and he's calling to get a number. And the woman says, hello, this is Telstra, this is Karen speaking. He's like, Karen, this is Jürgen Matesius from Sydney. I'm after this number. And as she's checking and getting the details, he's like, so how's your day going, Karen? Most of us, we're just getting a number and we're hanging up and we're moving on. Not my husband. So he gets into a full-fledged conversation with the Telstra 411 operator for an hour, here's her life story about how she's just gone through a really heartbreaking divorce, is, is grasping for a reason to live, is suffering with great depression. And he said, you know, and he said, are there any churches? Do you have any church background? No, I don't know any churches. And he said, well, listen, next time you're in Sydney, I want to give you my number and my church name so you can come meet me and we can pray with you and we can get you connected to the church, to a church near you. So she goes, well, I'm going to fly down this weekend. This is, this is the Telstra. This is the 411 operator. So she gets a ticket. She's so in need of an injection of hope and kindness and is so moved by my husband's kindness toward her. She gets on a plane and she flies from the state of Queensland to the state of New South Wales, gets our address and comes and watches the opening ceremony of the Olympics with us at our house. Jürgen leads her to the Lord, is able to minister to her. She was a beautiful, like, middle-aged woman, probably in her mid-50s, whose heart had been broken into. It wasn't convenient. I'm going to be honest. It was not convenient. I had great plans to watch the opening ceremony with friends that were my age. And sitting in my living room was a woman who was double our age, who I'd never met before, a complete stranger who my husband had connected with during an information call. (laughs) 
I, I actually, I don't know what really happened to her after that. I believe there was some back and forth between Jürgen and her and she got connected to a church in her own state. But I'm telling you, that interaction that represented a level of inconvenience would have changed her life forever. Can you see how this works and how easy it is? It's not even hard. Like, it's not even hard. And the most amazing thing is that these little moments, if we all engage in them, changes a city one act of kindness at a time. (laughs) Kindness is spelled sacrifice. Jürgen and I have led more waiters and waitresses to the Lord than anyone I know. Because we make a decision. Like if you've got Jesus in your heart, let it be visible on your face. I I just think miserable and Christian shouldn't go in the same sentence. Because either he's in there or he isn't. And sometimes we have to let our behaviour and our face catch up to what's happened in our heart. I honestly, let me go so far as to say, I feel like we have a moral obligation to be kind. Like, like if, if you want to be mean and bitter and treat people like trash and, and treat the waiter like your personal slave, please don't be a Christian. Please go join a religion that better suits your worldview. Like, like Christian, we are the salt and the light. Oh, yeah, we're freedom fighters. We're going to stand up against tyranny and oppression and every force that seeks to dominate and enslave men. But we do it honourably. We do it righteously. We are courageous, but we are kind. We are kind people. The signature of kindness is not lost on us. In fact, it's the greatest, greatest witness of our Father during times of great darkness and oppression. Amen. Amen. And lastly... Kindness is spelled sacrifice. I'm going to ask the band to come. What are you sacrificing when you're kind? Quite often it's your own will, your own ways and your own feelings. You may not wake up feeling kind thoughts and that's okay. But you can become what you need to become and who you truly are if you take a minute to do what the Bible tells us in Colossians and put on kindness. Paul said to the Colossian church, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Sometimes you're going to be waking up and and you're not going to be wearing kindness. Our Christian obligation and responsibility is to put it on. Put it on. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be kind. We all have feelings, we all have moods, but don't let your feelings and moods lead you, you lead them. Hey, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to clothe myself in kindness. I'm not going to walk into my place of employment or into the kitchen where my kids are waiting for me and bring bad weather with me. I'm going to put on kindness. I am going to be kind. And when I walk into places and I'm treated rudely and I'm not shown grace, you know what? I'm going to do to others what I would like done to me. We we actually don't have the, the right as believers to treat other people how they've treated us in the negative sense. Oh, I'd love to. Oh, there are sometimes I'd love to fight fire with fire. But actually the Jesus way is to fight fire with a fire extinguisher. 
And again, my husband has been the ultimate role model for me in this. He'll walk up to the most toxic, angry, resentful, hate myself and I hate life person standing behind the desk at the airport and he will he'll, he'll bring them around in just five minutes. How's your day been? It's been tough? Oh, oh you're doing a great job. And here I am in my head thinking, oh, I'm going to match your attitude with my own attitude. But he's learned the secret of what it means to be a true witness of Jesus. Doesn't mean we lie. Doesn't mean we pander. You know, in this time of of great warfare, with us engaged very politically in speaking to the the politicians and the, the governmental leaders in our city, let us make sure that we always do it honorably. We can be honest, but we have to be honorable. I'm not talking about lying and all of a sudden writing Gavin Newsom a whole bunch of love letters saying he's the best governor ever. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But in your conversations, be honourable. You can be honest and honourable. Let everything you do be rooted and grounded in love and have the signature of kindness. I think about that story that I led with about Lieutenant Halverson, who in a time of great warfare and devastation... Just a simple act of kindness, dropping candy on little kids who were used to sheltering themselves from bombs and enemy fire, all of a sudden see a different kind of fighter, a kindness fighter. And I want to say to you today that we have that beautiful privilege in our city to be freedom warriors, yes, but also warriors of kindness. I'd love it if you could stand to your feet. Just close your eyes and look to God. We don't fight the way the world fights. We don't insult. We don't use coarse language. We don't avenge ourselves. We don't use shame. We fight honourably. The Christian life has a code of warfare that can be easily forgotten in the heat of battle. But it's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. We are kind We are virtuous, we are courageous, we contend and speak up and out against evil and confront it in every place we see it. But we have the signature of kindness. We're of a different spirit. We are God's ambassadors in our city. Our freedom stance may attract them, but our kindness will keep them. The Bible even goes so far as to say, your kindness led me to repentance. Your kindness led me to repentance. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I thank you right now for a spirit of kindness, not lightweight the way that the world sees it, but Father, kindness that notices what other people overlook. Kindness that is willing to be inconvenienced. Kindness that is a sacrifice. We may not feel it, Father, but we do it because it's who we are. The seeds of kindness are on the inside of you. You may not feel kind thoughts all the time. That's okay. Nobody does. But the the seeds of kindness are on the inside of you and you can act according to what God has placed on the inside of you. You can be a light to a very dark world. You can be one who brings a word of hope to the hopeless. You can be one who is like 
the spiritual equivalent in our modern day of dropping candy on little war-torn children who need something to brighten their day. That is who God has made you. Father, I thank you for this magnificent group of people. Father, I thank you for a new day in our city. Father, right now that the people of Awakened Church would be distinguished, not just for their freedom fightingness, but Father, for the kindness that they carry. The people would say, we, we cannot deny their strength, their courage, but we also cannot deny their kindness. They are so kind. They were honest. They told me like it was. They didn't pander. They didn't lie. They didn't look away, but they did it with such kindness. I cannot deny, God, your signature. God is in this place. God is in Awakened Church. God is in the people of Awakened Church. We see it in their kindness. Father, let us receive this word into our hearts today and go about being great ambassadors for your kingdom in this season. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.